This is Ever Present, an Eden Project podcast, equipping you to connect deeply with God, yourself, and others. Welcome to the Ever Present podcast. My name is Duke Rivard of the Eden Project. I'm joined by Todd Wormers and Phil Herndon for another episode around the core emotions. I'm really thankful for you guys as you guys have helped me a tremendous amount personally, and I just know you're going to help the audience as you have in these other episodes. Uh, Today we're going to talk about fear, which is uh, a really strong emotion. Um, I grew up in the 90s with no fear t-shirts, so we were not (laughs) doing fear. We weren't acknowledging fear, Uh, and yet I've lived a lot of my life with fear. Uh, I've also noticed in the scriptures, um, well, maybe in the church, there's a lot of bad theology about Mm. fear, Mm -hmm. a lot of confusion, Mm. uh, a lot of Hebrew and Greek words that all are around fear that get conflated into a single definition, and a lot of weird ideas come out of it. And so I'm excited for the audience to get a little more clarity Mm. about a theology of fear and about what to do with it when we experience it. Um, And so, yeah, let's start there, Phil. What, What is the definition? What am I experiencing uh, when I experience fear, fear at, at its core is the recognition, internal emotional recognition that I could be or am in danger. So you take the widest definition you can think of of danger, and the widest definition of recognition, and that's what fear truly does. Fear is what alerts us to the possibility that I could something bad could happen to me. And we humans, like, I would love to eliminate anything dangerous or bad that could be life or identity threatening. Mm-hmm. That's what fear, that's what God has given us this emotion for. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, maybe even let's talk a little bit, we don't always do this, but about the limbic system, because isn't there something around even the fast brain? If, I, if I'm walking down a pass and I, and I see a stick that looks like a rattlesnake that mm-hmm. I, my body says, hey, that might be what I think it is, yes. and I'm already reacting because... I could be harmed, yes, right? Yes, and that's even the way God has created our brains, the, how the occipital lobes work to go scan the horizon rather than just a tunnel vision because we're, we're, we're made to look for things that could harm us. That's what our brains do and our bodies react, and like, that's how God fearfully, wonderfully made. I know that's leaned on a ton, Psalm 139, and it's leaned on because it's really true. <laughs> That we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and one of the ways that God has created us is this recognition of it could be a stick, it could be a snake, but I'm going to I'm going to wager snake until I see it's a stick. Mm-hmm. And that's what keeps us literally keeps us alive. Yep. No, it's so good. Yeah, uh, Todd, when you when you think about what we're experiencing when we experience fear, what would you add to that? That's really helpful. Uh, what else is going to help us understand what's going on when we're afraid? Yeah, I think the danger piece is it is the linchpin to to this feeling, and um, I, I love what uh, Doctor Chip Dodd says of, about fear. And you know, we live in a culture that says be fearless, be fearless, be fearless. You know, and we live in a church culture that says the same thing. And so Chip said has said oftentimes like fearless people become careless people mm-hmm. because they don't care about themselves. They don't care about themselves. They're definitely not going to care about you. And so. I think fear is a is a great gift from God that allows us to pay attention to what's going on in us and what's going on around us. Yeah. Um, one of the questions, you know, especially at Ten Man, we get often is, "Well, the Bible says, you know, gosh, okay, the Bible says." Well, I always point him back to Ephesians six. Well, let's let's talk about what Paul says about uh, putting on the full armor of God and. Um, you don't put on armor if you're not have some level of healthy fear. Like fear prepares us for something, and so uh, you know Paul says it. You know we're in a battle, we're in a war. 
And so we have to be aware of what's going on and who it is that's fighting us. And then th that fear will allow us to prepare for something that's coming against us and after us. Yeah. No, as you said, that it, the Dodd quote of if we're fearless, we're careless. Is there's almost a motif in literature or movies where you see the country bumpkin, maybe even the, the girl, right, that moves to the big city that's naive, that really has no idea the underbelly of a city and how gnarly it is and all the, all the manipulation, sophistication of, of evil that is happening there. And they wander in kind of fearless, careless, just kind of like, oh, it's fine. People are well-meaning people like, like the people in my little small town that are all for me and love me. And I'm just going to walk, walk into Chicago and like start a life here. And, and you're like, oh, gosh, like that could end really, really poorly yeah. because mm -hmm. you don't yet know what to fear. You don't yet know your environment well enough to understand right. what you're up against. Uh, so, yeah, there's some there's some wisdom there. Um, and there, there is another aspect of fear. Todd talked about the danger. I talked about danger, the snake and the, and the stick. There's also a fear of being aware. Fear raises awareness. It's hilarious story. It's about Chicago, actually. There's a boxer named James Quick Tillis. He, he was a kind of a flash-in-the-pan kind of guy, but he tells a story that he, too, was going to go ca capture Chicago. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to kind of come conquer this. And he, I think he was on a bus. He said he stepped off the bus. And he sat down his luggage like, all right, I'm here. He said he looked down, his luggage was gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll conquer later. But I read that story about him. But, you know, in, in fear, what we've been talking about, like Todd said, like prepares us for battle. And fear also helps us be alert to Danger has this very wide definition. It could also say, hey, if I'm not paying attention, things happen that are detrimental to me continuing in life. Like James Quick Tillis all of a sudden had no clothing. <laughs> you know, he looked around like that's all gone. Absolutely. That kind of yeah, that's great. So uh, let's talk about uh, the impairment. So there is a there is a, a lot of theology around don't fear. Um, and maybe if you had faith, you wouldn't fear. So there's, there's, there's a bunch of people that are saying, okay, I'm not going to fear. Uh, what happens when I won't, though? Uh, mm -hmm. where, where am I headed in the impairments if I won't honestly deal with my fear? A, a, a really common, if there's any word that's bandied about in almost every circle these days, neuroscience, psychology, theology, philosophy, you name it, it's the word anxiety. And uh, anxiety is simply where the body takes over to handle the fear my heart is made to respond to. Mm -hmm. So the body reacts rather than the heart responding. Okay. And so that's where, you know, it's very physiological tie. We, we become anxious. We, our palms sweat. Our temperature goes up. Uh, you know, we, we, we can set our jaws, tension, headaches, you name it. And there's the two minute list. But anxiety is simply I'm going to be really hyper vigilant. I'm going to make sure I'm at a heightened, not just a heightened awareness, but a heightened almost paranoia mm -hmm. that says I'm going to make sure. Because here's, here's the promise that anxiety holds out that isn't true. Anxiety says, I may not can prevent bad things from happening, but A, I can prevent most bad things from happening. If something bad does happen, I will see it coming, and therefore I can have control over it. Okay. And I can respond that, quickly because I'm watching it constantly. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if it's, it, it ain't going to sneak up on me. So if something bad happens, I've seen it coming, and, and ultimately that creates the promise that I can overcome it. Yeah, that's, oh, that's so helpful. I've I've struggled a lot with anxiety. That's probably the, one of the chief struggles. So it tells me I'm a lot. Of, I have a lot of fear that I'm not always processing. I've almost thought of it like a pit bull. Like I'm walking through a bad neighborhood, and there's a pit bull about a block away, and I'm looking over my shoulder, kind of often, right? Just keep my eye on it. Keep my. It hasn't become an active threat yet, but I'm just super aware that it could, and so I just live with that preoccupation mm -hmm. with what could happen. We might call that worry. 
Um, but uh, you know, Jeff Schulte at Tin Man, he had a, he had this moment with me at one point where he's like, "What if you just went, turned around, and grabbed the pit bull by the ears and got good and afraid of what you're afraid of instead of managing through anxiety?" Mm-hmm. And that would actually be the path forward, as opposed to just chronic anxiety. I'm never really totally afraid. I'm just mm-hmm. monitoring the yeah. thing that could happen constantly, it's like an open app. Phil, yeah, I don't think that be. intervention would work for you. <laughs> Not even close. You said pit bull, and I actually. <laughs> My body temperature went up. My jaws got tight. A little bit. I'm I'm a a little bit afraid of dogs. Sure, sure. You probably had an experience. There's probably a story in the real world that was danger. There is, and it's embedded deeply. And I don't even know the origin of it. But here, how I know that is, I have such a reaction to them to this day. Yep. And uh, yes, and it's instant. It's crazy. You know, Todd knows that about me. And when you were describing, when you described grabbing that dog, I I felt my body do something. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to trigger you, but yeah, the body keeps the (laughs) score. He's getting anxious over there right now. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't trying to simulate in real time, but hey, there there we go. Um, How does control uh, play into that as well? Because you see people say, "Hey, I'm a control freak." Mm -hmm. Uh, What are they saying when they say that? Like, what 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 does it? What does control do with have to do with fear? I think you're trying to control the anxiety, right? So the control is I've got to make sure everything around me is safe so that I'm safe. So I'm going to control people, places, things out of my anxiety that I'm in danger. Uh, that may, I may or may not be in danger, but the anxiety, you just said it, like I'm constantly looking around. So I'm going to now control my environment so I don't have to keep looking around. But in doing the control of the environment is I'm really not paying attention to what's going on in me. I'm paying attention to what's going outside of me. And that, that will lead into the impairment. The impairment, now I'm going to rage hmm. to gain control over the things I cannot control. Again, hmm. you think about a cat and a pit bull. You put a cat in a corner over there and you bring a pit bull, that, that cat is going to do whatever it has to do in order to stay safe. It's going to, and it will rage. It will go ballistic. But it's that place of, I'm going to control this dog more than this dog's going to control me. I'm going to punch first. That's right. Yeah, I'm going to do damage so I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. damaged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we talk about rage. We we mentioned in the anger episode that anger's different than rage. Um, what is our what is your operating definition of rage? How how will someone know when they're seeing that play out? Rage is where I'm <clears throat> I'm lashing out in terror. Now, there's a couple of adages that that really do make sense. Two two scenarios. Often you'll have a bigger person beating up on a smaller person, like a schoolyard bully or you know, this big old guy, these younger people, and, and some of the conventional wisdom says, well, they're just insecure. Well, that happens to be true. That old tale is really true in that when when people, the, the classic pictures and people think about rage are turning over tables and screaming and, and, you know, beating people up and that kind of thing. But rage runs on a continuum, silent rage, freezing people out, uh, biting, start, not good-natured, we're friends, bar, uh, bantering, but sarcastic, intended to punch mm-hmm. and cut. Those are examples of rage. All rage is anxiety has run its course, and I'm over here by myself in isolation. I'm going to do something to push you away, to disintegrate you mm-hmm. so I can be safe. Mm-hmm. So the, the outgrowth of the disintegration, you can destroy a room. The classic picture it's, I think one of the best films in history is It's a Wonderful Life. And you see the scene, if you've seen the movie, you see the scene where George Bailey comes into his house on Christmas Eve. It's a festive occasion. They're trimming the tree. They're getting all this stuff. Kids and he, are doing decorations, having all a blast. Thing, yeah. right? And so, and, and he has lost his company. Mm-hmm. And he comes in, and his wife asks him a question. She says, what's the matter? 
And rather than saying, well, come in here so the kids don't hear, come in here, here's what's happened. Uncle Billy lost our money. And just saying, and I'm really, really afraid. Mm-hmm. He lashes out. He's sarcastic. He's, he's irritated. One of his oldest son, Hero Child, says, Dad, the Browns got a new car. And he's like, what's wrong with our car? <laughs> and, and all these little things are happening. And then he finally, the phone call and Zuzu's sick. He's just had it. And he destroys his living room. Yeah. He's. He may be angry, but that is fueled by how terrified he is. He's lost his company. It's Christmas Eve. He doesn't know what to do, and he destroys his dreams. He scale models of bridges and buildings that he's put as he had a dream as a child. And so that's a, that is a, 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 an amazing picture of how a really good man is raging. He didn't come in the door kicking and screaming and tearing stuff up, but it just built mm-hmm. sarcasm, irritability, lashing out, and finally ended up with this fit that he threw because he was terrified he had lost his business. Yeah, that's so mm-hmm. insightful when you see somebody raging to, to back in reverse engineer, okay, what are they afraid of? Mm-hmm. In his case, financial ruin. Maybe yes. he couldn't provide for his family. Those are very real fears, right? Mm-hmm. But he's, he's processing them in a really broken way. And and sometimes we see rage at a collective level. I, I feel like some of what we watched happen in 2020 with the pandemic, which was a very scary and mm-hmm. disorienting thing, was really the first pandemic that was truly global, that the U.S. certainly encountered at a widespread level. You had probably economic fears of stuff being shut down. Is my restaurant going to make it? Is my company yeah. going to make it? You had. Uh, you also had a lot around vax or no vax, mask or no mask. Then you had the George Floyd conflict and and all that. But what it seemed like was happening in a, in our country, at least, was a collective impaired fear mm-hmm. uh, where people were not in control. Um, and realized they weren't out of control, and then went all the way to rage, and you started having collective rage. Uh, you start seeing it play out on social media. You start seeing it play out in local churches where they're starting to fight against one another, and all that f- un- unaddressed fear is showing up in in that attacking, the verbal attack, the um, you know, and all kinds of strange brokenness in relationships. Um, but it was really it seemed like a collective rage in our culture. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, I just grieved. It was like, okay, that's a litmus test, even in the church, that we don't know how to deal with fear. Yes. We don't yet know how to process it, and so we're raging. And, and what's so uh, sad to me, um, Duke, is well, perhaps well-meaning pastors and other leaders in church will will say, "Do not be afraid," and yet these same people will spend hours preparing a message. And if you ask them, well, what are you doing all this preparation for? And they go, well, I want to make sure the, the languages are accurate. Oh, so you are afraid the language won't be accurate. I want it to be engaging for people to pay attention because it's important. Or you're afraid it won't be interesting and won't pay attention. Like, so every if the word when we say the word preparation, we're talking about healthy fear. Mm-hmm. We'll say to that pastor, so we'll either stop studying or stop saying that, <laughs> one of the two, <laughs> yeah. because if you prepare your messages, you're listening to healthy fear. Like, yeah, I want mm-hmm. this to be, hey, this is God's word. I want to communicate it in a way that people can understand it and engage with it. Like, well, yes. And, you know, you're you're a old football player, Duke, in a young kind of way, but you're an old football player. <laughs> and, you know, in every single practice that a football team goes through is healthy fear to prepare for these other 11 guys over there that want to stop you from doing what you're there to do. 
So in all kind of, when a pilot does a pre-flight inspection of the aircraft, it's healthy fear. So when we prepared, Todd mentioned preparing for battle. If you take that wide definition of battle, meaning living, mm-hmm. as we prepare to do things, we're listening to healthy fear so we can do it wisely with discernment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great transition into the gift and the need. Um, how do we move healthy through fear, Todd? If, I, if I'm going to deal honestly with it, let's say I'm becoming convinced, wait a minute, I have a lot more fear than I realized, and I don't want to rage, and I don't want to be a control freak. I want to move into the direction that actually is relational and is healthy. What, how do I process it? What do I, what do I do with it? Yeah, I think it's paying attention to what's going on in me and what's going on around me and taking what's going on in me and around me to other people, right, to ask them for help, being needy of processing my fears. And I think what Phil said just a moment ago uh, was a reminder. I think oftentimes we, I have a little bit of fear. I have a lot of fear. It's like, no, you either do or you don't. Like so often we want to rate fear. What's Mm -hmm. most scary? What's least scary? It's like, no, fear is fear. Let's just pay attention to it. So you can pay attention to it. Then you won't try to uh, control it. You'll just become very needy with God and other people to, to walk out of that. And I think that's where, you know, I think of um, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord leads us to wisdom. Mm. It's like, oh, okay, like I have to have healthy fear in order to have wisdom, but I have to be honest uh, with what I'm afraid about. Yep. And so there's a lot of, and we'll talk about this in another podcast, but I think healthy shame will lead us to a healthy fear. Yeah. Like I'm very, very limited. I, I don't see everything. I don't know everything, but God give me the fear to see what I don't see yeah. so I can uh, navigate through life with that level of healthy fear. And that will then translate as I walk with other people. That's, so there's the, 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 just the process of really paying attention to me and what's going on in me so and what's going on around me. Yeah, I love that. I think there's a there's an accomplished businessman, and I honestly forget his name, but wrote a book said, you know, essentially said only the paranoid survive. Hmm. And it, and he was basically saying in business, if you're not paying attention to cash flow, if you're not paying attention to your competitors, you're not paying attention to the market, every other thing, and paying attention to all that, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to have wisdom, skill in business, if you're not paying attention to all the mm-hmm. threats and all the things that are coming against you. And so, uh, fear is actually a gift that can help us account for reality as it actually is, and and begin to ha- be more skillful in how we navigate it. Um, I think it's interesting. We talk about David. We talk about someone who was so emotionally present, a man after God's own heart. And it was. And David is not weak. Uh, he has some mighty men following him. He's doing actual hand-to-hand combat. He's a king. He's a competent leader. And yet David's afraid a lot. Um, we see a lot of Psalms where he's showing up with fear. And, and he's, he's showing up terrified. And, but he's discovering, like you're saying, there's a neediness about him that comes into God. And he starts to describe God as a refuge or an ever-present help in need. Mm-hmm. And so because he's willing to be needy, really feel his fear, he has, I believe, has something more with God than what many of us have. Mm-hmm. Because he's dealing honestly mm-hmm. with the threats, and and they were real, right? Yes. I mean, Saul's throwing spears at him, like he's hiding in caves. He's got military might coming against him. Yeah. Even in the most famous, probably the most famous story about David with Goliath, if you look at the rather undramatic uh, outpouring of fear that he had there, he he put on Saul's armor and went. This doesn't fit me. I'm afraid if I go out there and fight this guy with this armor on, I'm not going to make it. So healthy fear said, I, I can't do this. This is not wise for me. And I know the old line, you know, he picked up four smooth stones because Goliath had three brothers. He picked up four smooth stones in case he missed with the first three. <laughs> 
because he was listening to healthy fear. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I think I can knock this dude out with one, but just in case, I'm going to get more rocks. And so even that story, the nuances under that story is a picture of healthy fear. Like, I'm, I'm going to be wise about this. And, yeah, Todd mentioned it, you know, ironically earlier in Ephesians 6. Like, yeah, armor is probably pretty wise. But like, he could look at that and went, no, I'm afraid this is going to keep impede me from doing what I need to do. And then he got more rocks than just one. And so even those little kind of hidden details, even in that story, this, this man who knew was so acquainted with his own fear had all kinds of reasons. He's in the cave of Adullam fearing for his life, these other guys around him, you know. And so he, he does have so much pathos in his story. And then even before or as a backdrop to so many of those psalms, he wrote of how afraid he was. He's already practicing what it means to have wisdom and discernment that comes from healthy fear just with the fight with Goliath. Yep, that's so good. And then for those that maybe are thinking, I still wonder if fear is an evidence of a lack of faith. Uh, where do we see Jesus, who was without mm. sin, experiencing fear? And, you know, <clears throat> we literally cannot begin to imagine that Jesus, God in human flesh, was about to take on all sin, all sin, uh, that leads us to utter corruption in our humanness. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he he tells his friends, I am overwhelmed with sorrow. We just talked about sadness earlier. I'm overwhelmed with sorrow. Please come be with me. Mm-hmm. And he asked the cup to pass before him because only Jesus would have the eyes to see what what, what lay before him. Mm-hmm. And the writer of Hebrews tells us a little bit, but for the joy set before him, he suffered the scorn and shame. And so mm-hmm. that to me is such a picture of how Jesus is saying, this is literally eternally huge. Mm. I do not want to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you if he knows both how grueling or grotesque Roman crucifixion is, mm. I mean, just anybody going to the death penalty, like, and they're really paying attention, right? Fear is an appropriate response to danger, uh, but also knows that he's had unbroken fellowship with the Father and the Spirit yes. since eternity past and knows what that sever is going to be like, that, my God, my God, why have you yes. forsaken me? Um, he's dealing with that at a psychic level going, this is terrifying. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he's fully human, right? He's just going, I am terrified. Who wants to die by crucifixion? Like, I mean, and, and what would it say about Jesus if he wasn't afraid? Mm-hmm. I would, and in some ways, it would maybe make a case against his humanity that yes. he wasn't yes. really fully human 100%. because he was a superhero. He was a stoic, mm-hmm. above-the-fray guy who didn't really worry about crucifixion. Mm-hmm. That's not a big thing to me, <laughs> you know? It's like, no, in full humanity, yes. like any sane human paying attention is a terrified at that moment. Like one one writer said, I think it was C.S. Lewis, but I kind of have a habit of kind of saying, thinking C.S. Lewis wrote literally everything. <laughs> so I don't know if it was him or not, but I believe it was him that said that that the crucifixion or the cross— in art and jewelry only became popular after the last person who had seen a crucifixion died. He would not want any reminder of that whatsoever. Yeah, we're not putting electric it. chairs on our yeah. on our necklaces and wearing those around as uh-huh. a as a symbol. Yeah. Yeah, that's so that's so helpful. Um yeah, what happens when we, we start to have a community that knows how to deal well with fear? What does it feel like to be in a family or or a church that just is able to process it well and kind of step into it? Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, we begin to see things and say into things and speak into things. And I I think that the wisest man, you know, that's Solomon, had so much fear. But here's what's going to do. 
the wiz- if we pay attention to our fear, it's going to move us back into our sadness. Hmm. And again, I, I think we, because we don't want to do sadness, we're also not willing to be fearful. So we, we live without fear and sadness. Solomon said it the best. He said, with much knowledge or much wisdom mm-hmm. gonna, is going to come much sorrow. Mm-hmm. It's like those two things are going to be coupled together. And so I, I don't think we want to do the fear because we're not allowed to. And we also don't want to do sadness. And those two go hand in hand according to the wisest man to ever live. Like if you're going to be wise, you will have sorrow. Mm-hmm. And he's like, eh, we're like, I don't want to do those two. <laughs> so I think the more we get into our healthy fear, the more – the more recognition we have of who who I am and who you are and who God is, and like um, all all these, and you know, I think we've been saying it. We don't want to be needy people mm-hmm. because we don't want to be needy people. We don't want to actually do the feelings, and mm-hmm. so we become a needy community when we deal with our fear. I love it. And there's uh, this adage, kind of coattail on what Todd just said, that just adage that faith and fear don't coexist. It's like, you know, human experience and, and life in the body together says that if I don't have any fear, I don't see faith as necessary. Absolutely. So I've got this without God. Right. And so it's, it's such a ironic adage that's come about. Like like Todd said, we, we intuitively, we emotionally, relationally, spiritually recognize that I'm making a beeline for that sorrow, like mm-hmm. Solomon said. And so... What do we need in sorrow? Fortification through presence. And so I, faith and fear have to coexist mm-hmm. because that's where faith becomes operative. It's yep. just a theory till I'm afraid. Yep. I would say the seasons when I've been most afraid are the seasons that I've been most close to obeying the Scripture to pray without ceasing. Uh-huh. Amen. And to walk or truly abide. Yes. Um, but it's been out of the awareness of the need. And so we try to tell people to have all this faith without really being honest about the need. So you don't have need, but have all this faith anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, no. The only way you're really going to come to a place of deep abiding faith is if you're fully aware of how bad the situation actually is, how many bad things can very much happen mm-hmm. or are already happening. And now you realize that God is an ever-present help mm-hmm. in need. And when, you, when those things are – you're dealing honestly with both those things, you're, you're abiding. Mm-hmm. You're walking by faith in the moment-to-moment of the tension of a trial or a circumstance mm-hmm. that is just way beyond beyond you, and now you get intimacy with God yes, uh, because you're dealing honestly with the fear. And so not dealing with fear, I'll say one of the biggest threats is like you're just going to have a lot less intimacy with God. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you're going to have a lot less evidence of his grace and his ever-present help. You're just gonna and and you're going to still deal with the with the byproducts of the anxiety and the control and the rage. It's, mm-hmm. it's really not wisdom uh, to not deal honestly with fear. And so I hope that's one thing that happens mm-hmm. over the over the coming years. Maybe we normalize, we clarify what fear is. We teach people how to pray like David with their fear so that they can have his just a testimony of, hey, he has been my help. Mm-hmm. He has been my deliverer. He mm-hmm. has been my refuge. Mm-hmm. Um, all the things that David was able to say with integrity because he was needy. That's right. Uh, because he showed up with his fear. Um, thank you, guys. This yeah. is this is so helpful. I think this has been life changing for me. Some of the awareness that you guys have brought, really, even our time with Ten Man has opened the Psalms up for. Me. Mm. I didn't. I did not see them or read them the same way mm-hmm. until actually dealt honestly uh, with some of the work that you guys did. It's same. been life changing. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening to the Ever Present podcast. If this resource has been helpful to you. We would ask that you share it with your friends, leave a comment on the podcast platform, and help get this resource into the hands of other people. If you want to reach out to us, you can always email us at podcast at edenteam.org. 
And now as you go throughout the rest of your day, just remember that God's posture toward you is strong, persistent, and positive. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.